Hello and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And I think it's a good morning uh, to Dr. Yoon Park. And correct me if I'm wrong, but you're in Washington, D.C. today, right? I am in the suburbs of Washington, D.C. Excellent. in Kensington, Maryland. And for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Park, uh, she is, I will say it, I'm going to flatter you in front right here, uh, really a legend <laughs> in the China-Africa research space. Uh, she is a co-founder and coordinator of the Chinese in Africa, Africans in China Research Network. Part of what they do is a website that they produce in partnership with the Social Science Research Council in Brooklyn uh, called the China-Africa Knowledge Project. And really, it's, you know, of course, Cobus, not to be confused with the China-Africa project, uh, but it's really, you know, I would say, along with ours, uh, one of the great websites for China-Africa research. Um, actually, let me put this better. They are the better, the best place to go for China-Africa research. It's a fantastic resource, especially if you're a student or a scholar. Lots of great research that's there. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Park before we kind of get into our discussion today. Um, as I mentioned, she's truly one of the leading scholars on China-Africa relations, and there's a very, very long list of specialties that she focuses on. So I'll list just a few here, but this is by no means comprehensive. Chinese migration to and within Africa, African perceptions of the Chinese, and U.S.-China-Africa relations. Uh, she has a Ph.D. from Witts University in Johannesburg, where uh, we're joined from COBUS today, a master's from the Fletcher School of International Studies at Tufts University in Boston, and has done research and taught at numerous universities in the U.S. and Africa, including Rhodes University in South Africa, Howard University, and Georgetown University, all in Washington, D.C. So, Yoon, it is really just an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I know this is long overdue. It is. We've been trying for a very long time. But hey, Kobus, before we get into to, to our discussion with you, and I think we have to kind of put a feather in the cap of the China-Africa project here. We crossed one million downloads uh, this week. Uh, of our podcast. So we are just so grateful to everybody who listens on a regular basis and to all of our new listeners. Thanks to whoever is at working at iTunes in South Africa who put us up on the homepage. It's fantastic. We love you to death. And uh, so we're very, very grateful. And Cobus, we were in between Fox News and The New Yorker. So I, <laughs> I don't know what that says yeah, about a, our program. It's the perfect place to be. <laughs> it really is. So thank you to everybody listening. One million downloads. We're, we're very thrilled. Okay. Yoon, we've been trying to get you on the show for a long time, in part because, again, you have one of the longest uh, CVs, histories, and scholarship on China-Africa relations of, of almost anybody out there. And I guess I'm curious, you've been doing this for 20 years. Now, that's long before... Uh, most of us, or you know, most of the field was even developed. In fact, 20 years ago, there really weren't that many Chinese in Africa. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, what was the spark that ignited your interest in the field all those years ago? So perhaps to clarify, um, my work that goes, the, the initial work that goes back that far is actually on Chinese South Africans. So it's not on China-Africa issues per se. I started my PhD research on a very small minority community of Chinese, ethnic Chinese South Africans. So they were second, third, and fourth generation South Africans. Um, and as I was finishing my PhD research, which focused on identity construction, on the ethnic, political, um, and, and, and kind of uh, 
racial identity of this small minority group in South Africa during the apartheid and post-apartheid period. As I was completing this, it was very clear to me that there was a lot more interest in China um, within South Africa and throughout the continent, um, and that there were more Chinese migrants um, flowing into the continent. So it was a, a pretty natural segue for me to skip from looking at Chinese South Africans and identity construction and um, shift over to new Chinese migrants, um, which had been one of my areas of focus when I was doing my master's studies. And how did you um, build up your relationship with South Africa? What, what made you come to South Africa in the first place? My husband made me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, I had um, originally thought I would be a Latin American scholar when I was doing my master's studies at the Fletcher School in Boston. Um, my husband was the South Africanist. He had concentrated his research on Southern Africa, looking at divestment and corporate responsibility, social corp uh, CSR activities. Um, and he convinced me to join him in South Africa back in 1995. And originally, it was supposed to be a short two to three year stint, um, but we stayed on the continent in South Africa and for a few years in Kenya as well until the summer of 2010. So over 15 years, I spent um, most of that in Johannesburg. So when you now with 15 years perspective and you're looking back a little bit on, on kind of where things started and where they are today and we're looking at kind of the academic scholarship, one of the, the observations that I, I walk away with is that academia isn't really well prepared for China-Africa. You've got African studies departments, for, for example, in the United States that don't really kind of incorporate China into it. You've got Chinese studies departments that don't really incorporate Africa into it, and you really ha don't have anything in between. And I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are in terms of what parts of the world or what areas of, of scholarship are more sophisticated in this sense to really be adapting to, to the reality that's emerging. You, you point out a really critical issue um, that faces China-Africa scholars today. Um, in fact, most of the earliest China-Africa scholars, um, myself not included, um, are, are, are people like Chris Alden, Deborah Braudigam, um, Ian Taylor, um, and they all come out of political science or international affairs. Um, and, and that area really has been dominant in terms of China-Africa studies. And, and they tend to look at the macro issues. They tend to look at international political economy, at issues of trade, um, economic development, um, political engagement. Um, and then you have area studies and um, people from other social sciences, sociology, um, anthropology in particular, and um, geography. In Europe, I think a lot of the China-Africa um, practitioners, experts, come out of um, human geography. Um, and then a handful of historians, um, like Jamie Monson, who is an excellent, excellent scholar. Um, the experts on the China side, Lian Shan, Hu Wenping, also all come from international affairs. Um, so it, it's an issue. Mm. Um, yeah. the, the conferences that have hosted China-Africa panels 
Um, in, in some ways, uh, of the area studies conferences, African studies has been the most active and the most kind of welcoming, if you want to put it that way. Um, Asian studies, a little bit less so, um, but it, China-Africa studies, and this is one of the challenges that, that we face now as a, a sub-discipline, if you will, is trying to figure out where we fit, um, and and particularly since I've been back in the United States, it's a, a real issue in that the disciplines are so narrowly focused. Yeah. I find that the United States actually is not as progressive as what we're seeing coming out of Europe, uh, particularly in Scandinavia, uh, where in Denmark and Sweden, they seem to be a little bit more progressive on this front and, and in Africa. And I, I guess, Kobus, I'd like to put the same question to you. Uh, you've had uh, some exposure to the Stellenbosch University Center for Chinese Studies and also currently at WITS where you are. Uh, what are your impressions of, of, of the field? My feeling is that in, in South Africa, the field is so new that there is actually, paradoxically, quite a lot of freedom to, to try and develop new, you know, kind of new sides of it. I was I found that, that at Stellenbosch, um, it was very, uh, it, there was a very welcoming institutions, um, that, that especially the Center for Chinese Studies, that allowed one to, to develop your own direction. Um, you know, to, like, to, to find your own niche within within China Africa studies. At WITS, you know, kind of, it's it's very focused on the the energy of individual researchers. You know, kind of, so there are people who, in their individual work, um, you know, kind of focus on China Africa and they kind of do it on their own. Um, but they, but WITS doesn't at the moment have a particular body or, or kind of you know kind of natural home for that kind of work, unifying that work. However, WITS is very welcoming um, in terms of working China Africa stuff into teaching. You know, kind of. So I've I've had complete freedom to kind of to do that, um, but I you know I completely um, experience the same thing. I you know as as someone who works in media, I frequently find myself at either at a, you know kind of a China Africa conference being the only one who's talking about media, or at a media conference being the only one who talks about China. Um, you know, so, so I, I, I am this weird like kind of kind of exotic species at both at both kinds of conferences. Um, you know, actually, I was wondering, you know, kind of after after you spent time in the, you know, kind of in African academia, and then moved to the U.S., like what was the differences in how the how academics look at China Africa here versus in the U.S.? Oh, interesting question. Um, I was thinking you were going to go more uh, on the lines of. of um, the, the practical job search issues. Um, we'll get to that actually later yeah, on because that's, that's going to be really another, important. Another so we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. The biggest kind of impression or takeaway I have from, from since my return to the United States has to do with the fact that I'm actually based in, in Washington, D.C. Or, or just outside Washington, D.C. Um, in, in South Africa, and, and as Africa, as the African continent goes, I think South Africa in some ways is far behind a lot of other African countries in terms of their embrace of China and China-Africa issues. I think um, South African academics, um, with the exception of CCS at Stellenbosch um, and perhaps you know Rhodes um, and, and their Confucius Institute, has been quite slow in embracing China, Africa, in certainly in any institutional way, um, and you know I, I completely agree with what Chobe said about um, having the freedom to teach courses and things like that. But it really is the onus is on the individual scholar. 
since I've been back in Washington, um, what seems very clear is that, oh yeah, China, Africa, really interesting. How does that affect us, as in the U.S.? <laughs> and it's incredibly frustrating to be in Washington, D.C. and to want to discuss these issues when people in Washington talk about migration, they're referring to immigration into the U.S. or perhaps into Europe, but it's still along the lines of all of those poor people wanting to come here to the developed country. When you want to talk about Africa or China, um, it really is about the United States. You know, how does China's engagement in the U.S. affect the U.S.? Or, sorry, how does China's engagement in Africa affect the U.S.? Strategically, economically, politically. So it, this is certainly the sense that I get from media, from you know, knocking on doors at think tanks and things along those lines. Yeah, um, I, I mean, we, we yeah, it's slightly different, and it's more, it's it's broader. There's not as much of the um, America-centered uh, uh, kind of discourses, but it, it is quite overwhelming to yeah. return having lived overseas for 15 years and be hit in the face with, with that kind of chauvinism. Well, if anybody's listened to our show for more than maybe a month, you'll know that one of the themes that I keep bringing up is unfortunately that lack of self-reflection that Americans have about some of the profound geopolitical changes that are going on. Uh, and, and really, it's to Americans' detriment that they don't pay more attention because by the time that it really has a pronounced effect on the United States, it will be too late. Uh, we're seeing that here in the South China Sea. We're seeing it here in, in Southeast Asia where dramatic geopolitical shifts are going on. And Americans just aren't engaged because they're focused so much on a very small range of issues. You know, obviously the Middle East is important. You know, Ukraine's important, whatnot. But that's a very, that fits a, an established narrative. And China and Africa break out of those narratives. And I think Americans have a very difficult time. Uh, low the exception of, um, of, of Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, who's been one of the, the few who sounds the alarm and says, we got to pay attention to this. So you and I, I share your, uh, your frustration there. I want to turn now to the, the China Africa uh, and Chinese in Africa, Africans and Chinese Research Network. And this is something that you created a couple of years ago. And it emerged, it emerged from being a listserv into what's now a, a, a rather dynamic Google group. And what I enjoy the most out of it, and you've got about 500 members, I think, um, and there really are from all over the world. There's a lot of Africans, a lot of Chinese, and obviously a lot of Americans that are there. And I guess one of the things that I find the most interesting is that's one of the few places that I see uh, where Chinese academics and non-Chinese academics actually interface on a very casual level. It's not a formal level. And, you know, pr Professor Lian Shun is a great uh, example of this. Uh, you know, I think he's from Beijing University, and he'll put his two cents in on a discussion and whatnot, and we'll have, you know, some comments in Chinese and comments in English. Uh, and I just think that's a really nice kind of casual way of exchanging. And so I'd like you to talk a little bit about the, the network, uh, how it started, what you hope to get out of it, and, and where you think it will go. When I was still based in Johannesburg at the University of Johannesburg Center for Sociological Research, um, I managed to get a, a researcher position at the center, which freed me up from teaching responsibilities and really allowed me to pursue uh, a, a dual-track um, postdoc. Um, one was to try to get my PhD published, which was a great success. 
given the renewed interest in China-Africa engagement. And the second was to try to raise some funding for some new research on, on new Chinese migration to South Africa. Um, we also managed to raise some funding for um, a small public seminar, which was co-hosted uh, by the Mail and Guardian at the time. And um, on the back of that, we actually started a small research working group. And at the time, the concern was that what little had been written about China, Africa was written from this very macro perspective and, and virtually ignored the fact that there were people involved in these transactions, in these engagements, that there were migrants um, and, and Africans uh, who were dealing with um, new Chinese people whom they've never seen before. And, and those kinds of relations and dynamics is what most of us were interested in. Um, it grew from a small research working group um, after our very first conference um, into something a little bit bigger. And as we tried to stay in touch with this increasing um, group circle of scholars, um, we decided um, my sending emails to 30 and then 40 and then 50 people was getting uh, a little untenable. So we um, started this Google group and the Google group has just been expanding um, organically and, and rather quickly with certainly not a million downloads, but um, for researchers who are um, sometimes navel-gazing and, and caught up with their teaching and own research uh, responsibilities. This is pretty significant that we're up to about 500 members, active members of um, a, a network which is, again, started out mostly as academics, but increasingly we have more and more practitioners. So um, people from uh, journalism, um, filmmakers, people who work at international NGOs um, that are engaged in um, hum uh, natural resource management or labor rights, um, as well as diplomats and folks from the World Bank. Um, and all of these people are engaged in China-Africa work, either as researchers or as practitioners. So it makes for um, really interesting discussions, as you, as you mentioned, Eric. And, it's a pretty level playing field. We've got undergraduate and, and graduate students engaging with the likes of Professor Lian Shan or Professor Chris Alden and, and just sharing thoughts or opinions, um, sharing pieces of news um, from their local areas which may not make it into the mainstream press. Um, so it's been quite exciting to see that uh, it's grown so um, organically and, and so rapidly. Um, I think the challenge for us now is to figure out some way to remain sustainable financially. Um, this, I, um, actually, yeah. you know, kind of right on, on that point, um, like, you know, kind of as, as if I'm, am I correct in understanding that at the moment the network doesn't have an institutional, uh, a full on fund, a full funding and institutional affiliation. Um, and then, you know, kind of, uh, you know, what, what do you think is, is both the, the advantages and the disadvantages of linking the linking a network like this to a particular institution? So we we do have a relationship with uh, with Rhodes uh, University, um, and at at the moment, that's mostly via a research affiliation that I have with them, um, and the difficulty with 
establishing um, more solid relationships is that institutionally the network doesn't exist. It's not a legal person. Um, we're not registered anywhere. It is a virtual network. Um, and so doing things like raising funding for something like the network is, is quite a challenge. Um, any funding that we've raised in the past has been for project-specific things, such as um, the conferences. Um, the, the Center for Sociological Research at University of Johannesburg was our kind of home base or host institution preliminarily. We migrated to Rhodes University um, just before I left for the United States, um, and we still have a relationship with them. And through this uh, relationship um, between the network and Rhodes, we've actually offered some of the first courses in China, Africa that have ever been taught, um, to my knowledge. Um, they've been sh um, short honors level courses, but they've been dedicated to China, Africa, um, three to six weeks of instruction. Mm -hmm which, Chobos, you've um, also helped out yes. and taught um, yes. in as well. Um, we also now have a relationship with the Social Science Research Council, which Eric mentioned at the beginning. And through our connection with the SSRC, we can receive funding. We have received some seed funding from the Henry Luce Foundation, um, which is basically supporting me on a part-time basis um, at a modest salary, and um, it's supporting the work that we've done to mount the website, um, and that's taken a lot of, of um, man hours to um, provide the content and, and, and upload. Sure. Um, that's a continued work in progress. Well, let me, we, we quickly mentioned, we're over our, already our time, but there's one very important issue that I do want to address before we go, because a lot of our listeners are young people, particularly students, uh, who are either in school right now or are considering going back to either for a master's or a PhD. And one of the questions that Kobus and I often get is they want a career in China, Africa, either in, as you mentioned, the World Bank or in international NGOs or in academia. And so I just think it'd be interesting to get your perspective uh, on the, okay, let me phrase this in the right way, the job opportunities or the lack of job opportunities. I don't really have a lot of good answers to give these young people because I don't think there are a lot of careers outside of academia and what's inside of academia is difficult to get. Uh, and certainly you're not going to get rich off of doing that. But I'm curious to hear your take on what the outlook and what you tell young people and students about prospective careers in China-Africa relations. So I, I think that studying China-Africa is a wonderful way to engage the globe and, and the shifting dynamics that you mentioned earlier, Eric. Um, so it, it really would help provide anybody with a, a much broader perspective on what's happening today globally. Um, to try to focus a career on China-Africa is in incredibly challenging. Um, I left a decent paying academic job in South Africa to return to the United States for a number of reasons, um, but my timing couldn't have been worse. Um, the academic market in the U.S. right now is, is incredibly tight. Um, I think there are huge question marks about the tenure system in the United States. I know when I was at Howard, there are people who are well over um, kind of retirement age in most 
uh, other fields, but because there is no official retirement age in in academia and at Howard, um, there are people who are well into their 70s and 80s who are still holding on to these tenure track positions, which are hard to come by. Yeah. For every academic position that I've applied to in the last three and a half years, there have been at least a hundred other applicants, many of them who come much cheaper than I would. So that's been challenging. And in some ways, I think that's led me to become a little bit more entrepreneurial about my work. Um, I could probably, um, in, in my own words, sell out and go and work for a think tank who wants to engage in, you know, the impacts of China Africa on U.S. strategic ties. Or Is that what else. passes for selling out these days? By the way, <laughs> well, in my book, <laughs> I mean, I thought you were like, I'm going to sell out and work for the tobacco industry, or you know, I'm much more interested in you know the Chinese migrants or you know the African people than the United States, you know, industries who want to sell their business to to okay. Africa. It, it also depends on how you do, how you just design your career because I know some people who are making a mint out of China Africa relations, um, but they are they tend to uh, combine their their interest in China Africa relations with with uh, you know kind of uh, another with a third field or, th- or say then a second field um, in in you know f- especially for example banking um, you know so I know people who are making a very nice living off of you know kind of doing facilitating uh, you know China Africa business relations mm-hmm. for example or working you know kind of working for high level banks um, in the China Africa field and I think that that might be a business that's specific to South Africa you know South Africa is a is a very big center for that Johannesburg is particularly a center for that and as is Nairobi um, but you're not going to if you're interested in, in living in Africa and you happen to have this kind of a, this kind of background or a background in engineering that combines with something in China, Africa, then the, then that opens amazing doors. Actually. Or or you um, can or you can with li- also language language skills. You language know, kind of skills like are people critical. I know who speak Chinese. Oh, it's critical. But uh, the other thing that you can do is like we've had Huang Hongxiang on our show for a number of times. He was a China Africa reporting project uh, alumnus from Wits University. A young Chinese, I think he's in his mid twenties. Uh, and he started up his own Chinese CSR organization to help Chinese companies integrate and assimilate uh, into into Kenya. And I think there's opportunities to create new projects, but you have to go there and you actually have to do it and you have to take the initiative to do it. So I think in some yeah, ways... You have to be entrepreneurial. You have like, to be like entrepreneurial. But just like the Chinese and the Africans are, they're being entrepreneurial. So do the people who want to work around this industry. But as you talked about, you know, we've had Lucy Corkin on the show and she's in banking. Uh, we've had, you know, lawyers in Beijing who are involved uh, in, in, in the field as well. So, Kobus, to your point, I think that's an excellent point where you can combine China, Africa plus a profession, engineering, law, medicine, whatever. Absolutely. And I think development is the other major field, um, not banking per se, but if you're interested in development aspects, um, uh, th- there's one academic I can think of who's been quite um, successful in, in um, leveraging her expertise, um, and that's Deborah Braudigam. Yes. Um, and, and if you can get a consulting gig um, with the World Bank or, or you know some other development agency to help inform them about those aspects but um, 
yeah, it would be combining a lot of these things. Um, my problem is that I work on migration. And as I mentioned, most of the funding for migration, certainly out of the U.S., is concerned with immigration to the U.S. Um, right now. So, yeah. so you uh, need to add the word terrorism to it, and then you'll get funding in the U.S. <laughs> Security studies would be another area. That's Absolutely. right. Put Al-Qaeda next to it, and you can get all the funding you want. So, uh, um, listen, the website is china-africa.ssrc.org. I'll read that one more time. china-africa.ssrc.org. We'll have a link up on our website. That's the the, the Chinese in Africa, that's the China Africa Knowledge Project, not to be confused with the Chinese in Africa, Africans in China research. Uh, Yun, if people want to join that, if a lot of our listeners are, as you pointed out, students or they are uh, diplomats and whatnot, and they want to join the network, uh, what can they do that? Is it open to people to, to kind of register? Absolutely. Um, we, we'd like to limit the membership to people who are serious about this, not just kind of interested in finding out, you know, and, and will lose their interest in the next week or so. But if you're doing research, if you're serious about following China Africa scholarship um, and, and discussions with people who are in the field, on the ground, um, doing some of the cutting edge research, there is a link on the site that Eric mentioned um, to the Chinese in Africa, Africans in China Research Network, um, and it says join the listserv. So by all means, please come and join us, um, and you too can be privy and participate in these discussions um, with some of the experts. Again, if you're serious, I can't recommend it enough, and it's a pretty serious group of people, so it, this isn't very, you know, like, if you're not so serious, then come on over to us on the China Africa Project <laughs> Facebook page, because we've got a, a now... We're the stepping stone on we the We are the stepping the stone. That's exactly it. We're kind of the network light. Uh, but hey, listen, we have 250,000 followers on Facebook, and we're very proud of that and and you know interestingly enough Yoon our audience on Facebook is more or less the exact opposite of yours on the on the uh, on the network we have about 80% of our followers on Facebook are under the age of 24 uh, mostly from South Asia and North Africa, and there's this incredible interest in China and China-Africa relations. And we're just so excited that we're engaging young people and people are having these discussions and following the news every day. Uh, so find us on facebook.com slash China Africa Project. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm tweeting the top China Africa headlines almost every day. I'm at eolander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And Kobus, if people want to stay in touch with what you're reading and writing these days, what's the best way they can do that? Um, I'm on our Facebook page, and I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And once again, a very, very grateful, humble, uh, just, you know, we're just so excited that a million downloads of the, of the show since Kobus and I began this a couple years ago. Uh, it's really just taking off, and we're very excited about it. And your feedback has just been so complimentary, and we're very proud of that as well. Uh, if you don't like what you hear, if you want to make some suggestions, have any feedback, uh, we love that. And we, we get emails uh, pretty much every week from people. But, you know, let us know what you think. Kind of, you know, hit us up on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, and if you want to follow the podcast, best way to do it, head over to iTunes. Uh, just search for China Africa Project and we'll be right there. And, of course, if you're in South Africa, just go to the homepage for another few days and we'll be there as well. Uh, we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.